Hello and welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode we pick an area of agriculture or food production to discuss and this week we are talking about apples. Apple, 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 apple. Okay, Dad, what do you know about apples? I know that some of them are delicious. Some of them are not. Some of them taste way too sour or like cardboard. And right? I know that they can be stored for up to a year. Which That's true. That's true. Which still blows my mind. <laughs> and I know they got little seeds in them and worms like to use them for houses. Yeah. At least yeah, in cartoons good, or something. I good, don't know. Good stuff. And you can stick a crab apple on the end of a stick and fling it really far. We used to play um, like I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember if we had a name for it, but like we had a crab apple tree up at the farm, and we would take crab apples and like throw them, and the other person would hit them with a tennis racket, and they would just explode. It was so much fun. Oh boy. Probably not good for the tennis racket, but the tennis racket was probably like or the crab 35 apple. years old. Sure. I mean, it was definitely not good for the crab apple. All right. So apples, what do you got? What's so great about the apple? So the apple, also known as Malus domestica, is in the rose family. We have talked about lots of things in the rose family. So I thought it would actually be interesting to talk about where in the rose family apples are compared to other things in the rose family. So... Uh, listeners, I will put this on the Instagram and probably on the Twitter. Um, so if you want to see what it is that Dad and I are going to be talking about, you can find it there. But Dad, this is like basically a hypothesis of this like evolutionary structure of the Rose family that you can see here. Can you describe what it is for the listeners? Well, I see Johnny and Mora up top. What? And there's Alexis no. and David. <laughs> okay so now what i'm looking at is this sort of ridiculous graph uh it on the left hand side it starts out as two i guess three lines sort of splitting out from each other at not quite but almost a right angle and branching into a whole bunch of other little lines which branch into even more littler lines and it just sort of makes this little kind of tree-like structure, I guess. And towards the towards the end, the lines become different colors, I guess, to represent different species of apple. So it's to represent different like types of fruits within oh, the rose family. So it. like if you see on the left, there's like a keen, druplet, uh, phallicils, capsules, dry droop, poem, etc. We've talked about like some of these different types. Like we've talked about droops on the show. We're going to be talking about poems today. Um, but basically, this is just like different structures of fruit within the family. Got it. So you can see up here at the top, we have Frigeria and Rosa. So Rosa is roses like you have in your garden. Frigeria is strawberries. And then you have Rubris. So those are all kind of up at the top. And then down at like the very bottom, there's Prunus, which is things like peaches and apricots and plums. And then in the middle, you have Malice and Pyrus. So can you guess what Pyrus is if we know Malice is apples? Um, are Pyrus cherries? No, that's Prunus. That's Prunus. Okay. So pyrus 
I don't know. Does it have to do with papyrus? Is it is it like little paper reeds? No, it's no. pears. <laughs> it's pears. Oh, well, that makes that kind of makes sense, sort of. Yeah, ap- apples and pears are quite similar. They're both poems. All right. So a poem. What do they rhyme? No, not a poem. A poem. So p o m e. So a poem is a fruit consisting of a fleshy enlarged receptacle. And then a tough central core containing the seeds. So a receptacle is basically the thing that holds the flower, like, and it's right, right below the ovary. Um, and this is actually what uh, strawberries are as well, is they're mostly a receptacle. And then on the outside is where the actual fruit is. Poems are a little bit different where the receptacle, the enlarged receptacles on the outside, and then the seeds from the ovaries are on the inside. So basically... The inside bit is what comes from the ovaries and on the outside, this technically vegetative part of the flower structure grows up and around it to kind of protect those seeds. Okay. And so when you say receptacle, basically you mean the delicious part. Yeah. Well, so the receptacle, strictly speaking, is like the stalk that holds the flower and it's the bit on the stalk that's right below the ovary, but with like pears, apples, strawberries, when the ovaries are fertilized, then that part also grows as well as the ovary itself. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, but it is in, you know, the, the fleshy part is the receptacle, the enlarged receptacle. The part we eat is the enlarged receptacle. Okay. So we have talked about amygdalin once on the show before. We talked about it actually in our Halloween episode last year when we were talking about apricot pits. But amygdalin is also present in apple seeds, although in a much, in a smaller amount. I do not remember what amygdalin is. It is the thing that makes cyanide. Okay. So maybe don't eat those seeds in large quantities. I mean, you would have to eat a lot of them. And honestly, it would be very hard because you would also have to like break them open. Usually if people eat apple seeds, sometimes they just chew on them. Sometimes they swallow them whole accidentally. You'd have to basically make a smoothie of like 500 apple seeds and then eat all of it, which would be horrible and disgusting. So it's not that big of a deal. It definitely sounds unpleasant. And actually now I do remember this. We talked about apricot seeds in Foods That Kill. If you'd right. like to re-examine that episode. But yes, that's that's where... I'm remembering this knowledge from. So apple seeds, yeah. you know, have the same potential, but probably not a not a real thing. Not a thing. Apricot pits have dramatically more amygdalin. Definitely do not chew on an apricot pit. Got it. Um, but like apple seeds, it's not that big of a deal. But fun fact, people often like I have heard that as a fun fact, like, ooh, apple seeds can kill you. They can't really kill you unless you eat an immense amount, which is true for most foods. Fair enough. So originally, uh, it is thought that apples originated in Central Asia, but modern apples actually share more genetic material with European apples just because of hybridization along the Silk Road. So like we started domesticating apples a very, very, very long time ago. And Malus domestica is just such a distinct species and has genetic material from many, many different kinds of apples that... It's really like its own thing now, which is why it's its own species, even though it was just like hybrids from all these wild species. But that's super cool. This sounds like the kind of question that would get you thrown off a bridge in Monty Python. (laughs) So one of the interesting things about apples um, is that they are self-incompatible. So we'll talk about this later on in the show when we talk about breeding. Um, But that basically means that one apple tree cannot fertilize itself. It needs a second apple other apple tree to make apples. Um, So 
this plus the long lifespan of apples plus like it being involved in cultural practices and being eaten by a lot of people made for hybridization and a lot of genetic variation during domestication. Um, So like it's very different from like corn that we have now where like, yeah, we have a lot of different varieties of corn, but they're very genetically similar because apples cannot self-fertilize. You have so many, so many, so many different kinds of apples and they're very, very genetically distinct. So I know we've got a lot to talk about and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but how common are self-compatible plants versus self-incompatible plants? That's not something that I ever would have really thought of. Yeah. So with herbaceous plants, things like tomatoes um, that have like a year to live and then they're donezo, it's much more common for them to be self-compatible and like self-fertilizing just because it's makes much more sense. If you have a year and then you're done, um, then you really want to be cranking out those seeds as quickly and as easily as possible. If you have a tree crop that's really like their goal is to live as long as possible, it makes sense to want to have a lot of genetic diversity because that will make you more resistant to disease. So like that's that's really your goal is like if if a disease gets to a tree, that tree might be done so. And if there are a lot of other trees that are very similar um, genetically, then they also might be done so. So having like self incompatibility just makes a lot more sense evolutionarily um, as an advantage to trees versus if you're talking about more short-lived species. So every apple tree is unique and special, just like people. It's true, except for it's not, which we will be talking about. So I want to talk about Johnny Appleseed. Dad, for any non-Americans that we have listening to the show, can you give a very brief summary of who Johnny Appleseed is? Actually, I'm not sure that I can. Uh, what do you know about Johnny him? Appleseed is just one of those things. It's one of those names that you hear if you're an American, even if you don't know a lot about him. He's like a guy that planted a lot of apple trees and had this philosophy of life that like, you know, I've got everything I need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed. And I'm thankful to God for all of these things. Yeah, that was a great summary. Thanks. So that's all I know. Johnny Appleseed is based on a real man called John Chapman, who was born in 1774, right. right before the American Revolution in Massachusetts. So like as he was growing up, where he was living was going through like a lot, capital A, capital L, a lot. Eventually, he moved west to Ohio and he was in Pennsylvania for a bit as well. Basically, he moved to Ohio during a land deal that was uh, the rules of it basically were that settlers could take land from indigenous people, quote unquote, settle it up to 100 acres of land in what we now call Ohio if they planted 80 trees. So you had to plant 80 trees to, to be able to like claim your 100 acres. Okay. So... Johnny Appleseed moved to Ohio and he would go up to the cider presses in the winter um, and load up on apple seeds that were like a leftover byproduct. And then come spring, he'd go and plant them all like by a river with a little fence of brush around them to keep the deer out. And then like five years later, he'd come back, get all the saplings out of the ground and sell them to new settlers. Sounds like a lot of work. A lot of, well, but the thing is, it's like not a lot of work. You plant seeds and then five years later, you have something to sell. Like it's not like he was tending these apple trees. Um, Like he was basically like setting up little nurseries that he would just leave by themselves to, you know, 
function. Sometimes he would like come back in once or twice to check on him and make sure everything was going well, but like he wasn't doing much. So he made money off the land rush, basically. He made money off a land rush. It was like a very like capitalist opportunity, um, like facilitating settler colonialism. But like he was a he was a weird guy. So he took this money and it's not like he went and like bought a bunch of land or like bought a bunch of like people or resources or like tried to make himself rich. He started to run a horse rescue with like the money he was making where he would take in horses that he thought were being abused. Um, He really couldn't stand to see animals or plants abused um, or hurt, which is why he didn't graft apple trees. We will talk more later about like grafting apple trees, but that is something that was really, really common for hundreds of years. By the by, this point, by the time Johnny Appleseed rolled around, it was very common to graft apples. And he wouldn't do it because he thought it was like hurting the trees. He didn't really live any particular places. He was a wanderer. He was very religious. So he would kind of wander around and spread the gospel. He was a vegetarian later in life. There was this account uh, that I found that Anthony Banning Norton, who was a journalist and historian, um, he called Chapman the oddest character in all of our history in his 1862 History of Ohio. I, here, I have, I like copy and pasted a little account because I just thought it was really interesting. Um, he said, one cool autumn night while lying by his campfire in the woods, he observed that the mosquitoes flew in the blaze and were burned. Johnny, who wore on his head a tin utensil, which answered both as a cap and as a mush pot, filled it with water and quenched the fire and afterwards remarked, God forbid that I should build a fire for my comfort that should be the means of destroying any of his creatures, like meaning God's creatures. Um, and in, the, in that same account, they talk about like him sleeping in the woods, him walking around barefoot in the snow. I don't know how truthful these accounts are uh, just because it's history. And this guy wasn't there. He was a journalist and he was talking to people who said that they were there. But boy, like what a picture they draw. Indeed. This really reminds me of if you've seen The Good Place. Do you remember Doug Forsett? Yes. (laughs) This is what this reminds me of. Right, right. Living on his own, trying to make no impact whatsoever. And just to backtrack super quick, because you said it very casually. He said like he didn't buy buy anything, like he didn't buy any land or people or whatever. Just to be clear, he did live in a time when buying people was possible. Right, exactly. And like I do like I I did want to be clear at the front, like this is like he did facilitate settler colonialism. He like was taking advantage of these like capitalist structures in this like time of oppression and he was able to benefit from that. But he was a weirdo amongst those systems for <laughs> sure. That's awesome. Now I'm curious. I wish we had like more, you know, firsthand historical accounts of him. I'm sort of interested to learn more about the more about the individual. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting history, but like the really interesting thing about Johnny Appleseed is like really the impact he had because he wasn't grafting plants and like basically making clones. He was planting from seed and making genetically distinct individual trees. He dramatically increased the genetic diversity of apple trees in North America and made it really possible for uh, like genetic apple breeders today to have a lot of material to work with. Okay, so if apples are so genetically diverse, then how do apple growers predict how an apple is going to come out? We're going to talk about that. 
after the, the break. break. Welcome to the break. Welcome to the break. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the break. Dad, did you know we have a Patreon? I did. We have a Patreon. It has several tiers on it. They are all super fun. And I would encourage anyone who is listening and interested in supporting the show to just mosey your way on over there to patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. We have several tiers, one of which includes our Starfruit patrons who should have just gotten a shipment of salt, which is amazing. It's not just salt, though. It's like, not- I want people to understand it's not just salt. We worked very closely with this extremely cool shop that is based out of San Diego. And they got like six specialty salts, all of which I tried with you. And oh my God, were they amazing. Let me tell you, a piece of sourdough bread with some butter and a little dash of the truffle oil salt is amazing. Also, the other night, I had some corn on the cob with some butter and the Havana spice salt. Wow, that was incredible. So that's one of our one of our tiers over on Patreon. Uh, Starfruit patrons get a shipment every six months of very cool goodies that we love and we think they'll love. But mostly, we are just extraordinarily grateful for everyone on Patreon and all of your support of the show. You make it possible for us to do this and make it as wonderful as we are able to make it. And thank you especially to our wonderful Starfruit patrons, Vikram, Lindsay, Mama Casey, Patrick, And Cheyenne. And Cheyenne. Thank you so much. We could not do the show without you. Back to the episode. Back to the episode. Hey, Dad, do you have a nature fact for us? I do have a nature fact. What is it? So, one of the things that apples are used for is apple pie. And Uh I love me a good apple pie. And there's the expression, you know, American is apple pie. Uh huh. But did you know that apple pie actually originated in the UK? What? And the first known recipe that is was recorded that we have written down was by Geoffrey Chaucer. No way. Yep. Really? Author of the Canterbury Tales, often referred to as the father of modern Amer or modern English literature. Wow, that's an incredible nature fact. And it included apples, figs, raisins, and pears in a pastry shell, uh, but no sugar, which I'm guessing was probably much more expensive at the time. Honestly, that sounds pretty good. I feel like the raisins would bring that sweetness. It sounds like it would like not be too sweet, but like just right. I'm saying at the time, I would probably be really happy to eat that pie. I feel like I would be happy to eat that now. Apples and pears and raisins? I could totally get with that. And figs? And figs. I love figs. Figs are my favorite. Figs are great. Nature fact. Nature fact. Nature fact. Okay, so you want to know about apple breeding. Hmm? You have no idea how much I want to know about apple breeding. So a lot of the crops we eat, as mentioned before, can be pollinated by other flowers on the same tree or plant. Some flowers can even be pollinated by itself. Like tomato flowers can just be pollinated by themselves. Um, Apple pollen cannot fertilize flowers from the same plant. Their system to reject their own pollen actually also reduces the likelihood that parent or sibling plants can breed with them. So as I mentioned, this makes for healthier plants, more resistant to pathogens and pests, but it also makes it impossible to breed. 
Really? The apples that Johnny Appleseed spread around North America, which were created by seed, um, were mostly cider apples because for cider, you really just need the sugar content. They don't have to taste good. They don't have to look good. It's very rare for an apple planted by seed to taste good and look good. It's not common. The spread of apples across North America precipitated um, by Johnny Appleseed, but of course, like not exclusively to Johnny Appleseed, did lead to uh, things called chance seedlings, some of which led to varieties we now know like the Golden Delicious, which is where you just have a random seed and eventually, wow, something great comes of it. But almost never does that happen. Um, we now have genetic sequencing, which does take some of the guesswork out of it. But honestly, if you think about it, if you're trying to create a new apple, you can't like crossbreed between two apple trees necessarily that are related and you're trying to isolate specific uh, like genes, specific traits. Um, so really, it's just a roll of dice. You have to plant a seed and then you have to wait 15 years to get an apple to see if it is good. 15 so, years? That's how long apple trees take. It's like 10 to 15 years until the apples are like ready to be harvested. So it takes a long time. Sometimes it can be earlier if you have like ideal conditions. But generally, that's about how long it takes. It's very hard. It's very, very hard to breed apples. It's very hard to breed apples. I cannot stress this enough. Okay. So let, let me try to sort of clarify this mm -hmm. in my mind. Mm -hmm. Let's take Golden Delicious as an example because it's... Like one of my favorite apples. Love me a Golden Delicious. Mm -hmm. If I want an orchard of Golden Delicious, then I get Golden Delicious apple seeds or do I start with saplings or whatever and plant them and then wait for years for them to become trees and then they keep producing apples forever? Or how does that all work? So if you want a Golden Delicious apple orchard and you start with Golden Delicious apple seeds, you will not get Golden Delicious apples. Really? Because, because the flowers on the Golden Delicious apple tree were pollinated by like some other random tree, right? Okay. So the seeds are half Golden Delicious, half something else. And the gold how we breed plants is we do a lot of back crossing so like you cross with something else and then you cross back with the original plant you cross with something else and you cross back with the original plant that's almost impossible to do in apples because of the self incompatibility and because they take so long to get to maturity so we don't have like these specific genes isolated like we don't have the traits um isolated so golden delicious is really just totally random so how we get golden delicious apples. We take a rootstock and we graft onto the top of it, meaning we take part of a golden delicious apple tree and we we like cut off the top part of an apple tree and we stick on the top part of a golden delicious apple tree and they grow together and we, it's basically cloning. This is how apples have been grown for a very long time. The oldest apple variety might be the Anurka apple, which some people think is the one mentioned by Piney the Elder in his Naturalist Historia as Mala Orcula before the year 79. Uh, that's a while ago. We have been doing this for a very long time. We have been grafting apples because it's very hard to breed apples. So we just clone them. We just clone them because that's how you get good apples. Okay. So what's the difference then between breeding and cloning in this case? Cloning, you're taking an existing plant, you're taking a piece of it, and you're growing that or you're grafting you know, something else mm -hmm. onto it to grow it. Whereas 
when you say breeding, you mean growing from seed and hoping that they're pollinated by plants close enough to it to produce something predictable, except it sounds like that won't happen. It's just going to get pollinated however it gets pollinated and have fun with whatever you get. That could be really interesting or it could be awful. Right. So like, for example, say we're breeding like sunflowers. You want a bigger sunflower seed so that you can put them in the piggly wigglies and you also want something that is resistant to sunflower blight or whatever diseases affect sunflowers. Yep. Um, so you take a sunflower that it might be like really uh, affected by whatever disease is affecting the sunflowers and you take, but but it has big seeds and then you take another sunflower that has small seeds and is really resistant to this disease and you cross pollinate them like 200 times and then you look at all of the babies that came out of those and see do any of these have both of the traits that i want and like that's how you just keep doing that over and over again until you're able to breed the specific traits that you want that's a really simplified version plant breeding is a lot more complicated than that but you can't really do that with apples just because of that self incompatibility you can't keep breeding back and forth because of this um, mechanism to reject pollen that is related to the original tree. Okay. So yeah, we just have to clone it. We just have to find, we roll the dice, we go out into the woods. Literally, this is how they found the golden de- delicious apple. They were just like talking to farmers, going out into the woods, being like, oh, I heard so-and-so has an apple that's good. And they went and they found it in the woods and they took it and they said, this is a good apple. We will now take part of these branches and go clone them. And now we can eat them in the grocery store. Thank you to those people. Yeah, absolutely. But also, it's a roll of the dice. So they didn't really do anything other than facilitate the growth of the apple tree. Fair enough. So we graft all the apples. They're all clones. Um, So all the red delicious apples are exactly the same. All the golden delicious apples are exactly the same. All the Granny Smith apples are exactly genetically the same. Of course, this creates issues with genetic diversity and disease. But because we just have so much apple genetics, their apples as a whole are not really at a, at risk of a disease wiping out a monoculture, but like specific apple varieties might be. Okay. As long as golden delicious are safe, I'm fine. Well, as of 2008, 90% of the apples produced in the U.S. were just 15 varieties. Wow. So golden delicious is probably one of those 15. Yep. That's a lot of golden delicious apples. They're probably okay, but... Compared to every other apple out there, they are definitely at a higher risk in terms of risk to diseases. Sure. Okay. So that's how we make apples. In terms of who eats apples, um, China eats 40 million tons of apples. The U.S. eats 4 million tons of apples, which is second place. So China eats the most apples. Wow. That's a lot of, I mean, they got a lot more people, so I guess it makes sense. The highest per capita, I was actually really surprised by this, is Poland, Turkey, and then Iran. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, China also grows the most apples. They grow 41 million tons. The U.S. grows 4.7 million tons. And then Turkey comes in third with 3 million tons. Wow. Little go Turkey. I know. Apparently, very big apple people over in Turkey. Had no idea. Yep. Um, okay, so post-harvest. So this is the thing that you really wanted to talk about. When I brought up talking about apples, you wanted to know how we get the apples off the trees and into storage and then to the grocery store. Indeed. And at some point, we have to blame Hollywood for the need for them to be red. But we, yes. we'll, get, we'll come to that. 
We told no. That's the first thing I have. Oh, really? Red color, yeah. So red color is normally just cosmetic, like gala apples. It's an indicator of maturation, but that is pretty much the only apple that we eat um, commercially where that's like really an indicator. Normally, it just is like consumers won't eat an apple unless it has some red on it, um, or it's like specifically not a red apple. Wow, there was a. Uh, I remember in the nineties there were a bunch of farmers tried to breed some really great, bright, shiny red apples, uh-huh. but they all tasted like cardboard. Yes. And so they ended up going out of business. And there was this whole thing about, you know, farmer relief for these people who were losing a bunch of money because they grew really not good apples. And some of them were like, you know, we're in business. We tried and we failed. That's it. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> I mean... It is very hard to breed apples, to be fair. So as you mentioned at the top of the show, apples can be in storage for up to 12 months. Their storage period is 1 to 12 months in storage. Um, Usually, like, that has to be in the right conditions, though. So, like, the temperature is usually between 30 and 40 degrees Fahrenheit. The humidity has to be, like, 90 to 95 percent, just so that, like, they can stay good and edible and delicious. You can't just put it in the cupboard for a year. Can't just put it in the cupboard for a year. All right. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was browning. Do you know why apples go brown, Dad? I assume it's some sort of oxidation? Or... It is. It is. Okay. Great work. Thank you. Yes. When uh, I found a really helpful article in the Scientific American, which is called, Why Do Apple Slices Turn Brown After Being Cut? So when apples are cut or bruised, oxygen is introduced into that injured plant tissue. And then when the oxygen is present in the cells, an enzyme called polyphenol oxidase, also known as PPO, which is in the chloroplast, will rapidly oxidize phenolic compounds. And then that oxidation creates a brown colored secondary like product. You can use like lemon or pineapple juice to coat apple slices, which will slow enzymatic browning, both because they have antioxidants in them and because they have a lower pH. Um, so all in all, that you know causes the enzyme to be less active. So if you want lemon juice on your apple, it'll stay better longer. It's true. <laughs> but in 2017, there was an apple approved that was a GMO apple called the Arctic apple. And there's actually several different varieties of Arctic apples. Interesting. So they basically just took out that PPO, that polyphenol oxidase enzyme, out. And so now there's no oxidation process happening. And other than that, the apples are the same. So they don't brown. There was a lot of talk when these were first released about like kid snacks, like pre-cut apple snacks, uh, like the apples that you can buy from like McDonald's and stuff like that. When you're like on the go, you have small kids that need the apples already cut up and you don't like have time to cut them up. There was a lot of talk about like those consumer packaged goods, like ready to go apples. But of course, apple trees take a long time to grow and they weren't approved until 2017. So we still have a ways to go until we know really what the market's going to be. This year was their highest harvest to date, according to Growing Produce, which is like an industry publication. This article was published on October 28th. So pretty recently, we're recording this on Halloween. So this is pretty up to date. Uh, They had almost 8 million pounds. And of course, fall is usually when apples are ready, like early fall. So 8 million pounds of Arctic apples this year. 
probably will be more next year. I wonder how they taste. I think apparently, I mean, they taste the same. They took like existing apple varieties and then just took out that enzyme. Okay. So they probably taste exactly the same. Also, kids, you don't need time to cut up an apple. You can just take an apple and bite it directly. What if you're like a tiny baby with the little tiny baby teeth? Well, okay, then. Or like a small little baby mouth. Your parents can cut it up for you, but I mean, let's face it, that's not who these things are marketed to. They're marketed to, you know, kids that are like eight, nine, ten years old who don't want to be bothered with whole apples or parents that don't want their kids to be bothered with whole apples and would rather just get them pre-cut apples. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Pro- maybe, probably, I I don't really mind a pre-cut apple. I mean, there's there's a lot of, we've talked on the show before about like the questionability of like pre-cut fruits whether that's apples whether that's pineapples um whether it's watermelon when you go into the store and there is like a pre-cut section one creates plastic but two also makes it possible for people to eat fruit that you know it might have been challenging otherwise maybe because they have a disability maybe because they just don't have enough time in the day to like really take time to prepare fruits like that there's a lot of reasons why pre-cut fruit is complicated in terms of creating plastic but beneficial yeah it's complicated okay well pre-cut fruit is fine sure it's complicated okay it's complicated i'll keep an open mind okay (laughs) so yeah that's really cool apples uh love an apple Uh, i'm not gonna try to breed an apple but i will definitely eat an apple and i might try some medieval apple pie absolutely that sounds great gotta go get me some figs also mama casey if you're listening we haven't had apple pie in a while just saying you can make an apple pie it's not hard you don't need mom to make you an apple no dad come on you can make an apple pie you don't need mom to make you an apple pie really good pie just saying oh my god Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is made by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. Or join our Discord and Facebook communities and leave us your thoughts on this episode. You can find all of our episodes and transcripts, as well as information about the team and the show, on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Help us take root and grow organically by recommending the show to your friends or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. There you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, exclusive bonus content, and boxes of our favorite goodies. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears. Be sure to see what's sprouting in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing.